Welcome to Leadership Beyond the Trenches. I'm your host, Anne Reifenstein, and in this episode, we're going to talk about culture. Culture is a pretty broad-ranging idea, and so we're going to take a look at it from three different perspectives. The first is organizational culture and how leadership impacts that. Then we're going to take about how national culture can influence leaders, how they act and how they're seen. And then we're going to take a look at cultural intelligence, how leaders can become better at understanding and utilizing culture so they can be better at what they do. So I hope you join us for this episode on culture. Culture eats strategy for breakfast is a phrase that was coined by a management expert called Peter Drucker. This quote really resonated with me. Because I think it really explains why some really good ideas put forward by some really smart people really have not been all that successful. Organizational culture is an extremely powerful thing. It can shape ideas. It can really light organizations on fire. And it can also be incredibly toxic. And the leader can quite often fall afoul of it. How many times have you had a new boss who comes in and immediately changes everything on how you do business and all the friction and difficulties that, you know, happen within the organization from that vice, the boss that comes in and waits a bit and takes a look around and see how things are done and see where things need to be fixed or where things need to be improved. Those can make a difference. That's a little bit smoother transition. When we get into talking about change management in the future, we can actually discuss how this organizational culture is essential. A good example of how organizational culture may be hindered the implementation of an idea is perhaps the CAF transformation that took place in the early to mid 2000s under General Hillier. This is when the Canadian Armed Forces transitioned from being essentially element-based to being more joint-minded and more command-focused. And the idea behind it was sound and rational in terms of managing troops and making sure our operations were as joint as they could be in order to really leverage and really enable our abilities as a small military. However, there was a lot of resistance to it the Army, Navy, and Air Force were really not terribly supportive of the command structure as they saw it as something that undermined their organizational structure, undermined their organizational culture. And so the transformation wasn't necessarily as successful as it could have been. There were a lot of bumps along the way, and a lot of those could perhaps be ascribed to maybe putting some a major change in place that didn't align with the overall organizational culture. Leaders, particularly those working at the institutional level, really need to understand organizational culture because they need to understand how it's shaped and how they as leaders can shape it from within and also how it's going to affect them achieving their mission or their goals going forward. The first thing we need to do is we need to take a look at defining what we mean when we say culture. And it is like trying to nail jello to a tree. It's really amorphous. It's hard to pin down. If you go into academia, there's a lot of different definitions of culture and what it means. 
But in this instance, we're going to talk about organizational culture. And from an organizational culture perspective, we're going to say that organizational culture is basically the tacit social order of an organization. It's those cultural norms that decide who is encouraged, discouraged, who is accepted, and who is rejected within the organization. It's shared, the culture is shared amongst the group, and it's reflective of the group behavior itself. It's a lot of those unwritten rules. You know, how many times have you shown up to a place and there have been rules in place that have not been written down anywhere or not explicitly there, but it's the unwritten rule of how to act and behave. And it's a lot about how people are seeing others act. Culture is not a fixed or a static thing. It adapts and responds to change, changing opportunities or difficulties. It responds to the external environment. It's pervasive. You know, the organizational culture is throughout the organization and it's also enduring. It's going to last longer than the people who transit in or out of the organization. People have an implicit understanding of what culture is. There's been academic research that's indicated that the evolutionary process shaped the human capacity to recognize and to respond to culture. We are attuned as humans to really understand what culture is. So that's a bit of organizational culture described and defined. However, what we really wanted to understand is how do we figure out what our organizational culture looks like and how do we then shape it into what we want it to be so it aligns with our strategic intent, our vision, what we want to accomplish, and also with our leadership and our leadership values and styles. So one of the things that's been developed is a integrated organizational cultural framework. And it's a tool um, that's described in the Harvard Business Review, and it categorizes culture along two dimensions. One is flexibility and stability, and the other is independent or interdependence framework. And of course, like all good things, there's a quad chart. There are eight categories they use to describe organizational culture. And these are an organizational culture can be purpose, caring, order, safety, authority, results driven, uh, driven by enjoyment and driven by learning. And so I'm not going to try and describe what this is about because the framework is really visual. But if you go and look it up, HBR has got a great resource and I've put the link in the show notes. This categorization really helps you to understand and potentially allows you to see where your organization is and then what is within the realm of the possible to shape that culture, your organizational culture and change it. This integrated organizational cultural framework is just one tool of many that are out there in terms of how to describe an organizational culture. An organizational culture isn't a standalone being though. It's directly affected by its context. And one of those things is national culture and then the industry or the occupation that it's in. 
National culture is something that people have been doing a lot of work on, particularly with the advent of globalization and working in multinational corporations or in a multinational context. Within the military, there's a lot of multinational organizations and Canadians have been participating, or CAF members have been participating in these for a while. There's NATO, there's the United Nations, there's a number of other smaller organizations out there. One of the things that has basically been understood that national cultures have a direct effect on how they view leaders and what attributes are valued. And so Geert Hofstede uh, was a Dutch researcher that did a lot of work in this area, along with Robert House, who ran the Globe Project. They both, they're outlined in Northrop's uh, book on leadership and his, his take on culture and leadership. Hofstad developed dimensions on culture which frame an understanding of, a common understanding of how national cultures work. And the GLOBE project then discussed how leadership and those national cultures work based on the same idea of dimensions with a few others added in. They took a look at countries and clustered them together basically um, looking for commonalities, you know, so there's the Anglo cluster, there's the Germanic cluster, there's the Latin Europe cluster, the Sub-Saharan Africa cluster, Eastern European, Middle East, Confusion Asia, Southern Asia, Latin America, and Nordic Europe. Northrop, again, I'm, I'm going to refer you to the show notes where there's a couple of references that you can take a look if this is something that you want to follow up. But what it does is it gives you an indication of the characteristics of what people are looking at for leaders. So what's the so what on that? Well, this becomes really essential information when you're working in multinational organizations. They all have their own organizational culture, as well as that mix of nationalities. So if you have German subordinates working for you, their expectation of their leader may be different than what your expectations or understanding of what leaders are. Um, from the house uh, globe project, we know that uh, Germanic cluster expect their leaders to be participative and most importantly to be extremely knowledgeable about what they're talking. So they have to have intrinsic detailed knowledge vice having a general overview and allowing subordinates to get on with the details. That's a different expectation from leadership from where you would say an Anglo cluster, where they're looking at a leader being more concerned about the big picture, more concerned about the larger scope of what's going on. National culture, though, is not the only thing that has an impact on organizational culture. The industry as well has an impact. The telecommunications industry is very different than the finance industry. The civil service is very different than the military, though they are both serving the public. The military particularly has a lot of strong organizational culture similarities regardless of where you go. Hierarchical structures, traditions, uniforms, all of these things all contribute to a similarity. But the national culture is also expressed and they're all just that little bit different. When I was an exchange instructor down in the Commander General Staff College in Fort Leavenworth with the U.S. Army, there was a lot of stuff that I found very familiar. The hierarchy was the same. The um, structure of the programs was 
you know, a little bit different, but the content was was there. It was it was the same idea on what we were instructing as I have been familiar with back in Canada. The challenge and the difference was the size and the scope that the U.S. Army teaches at. It's just 10 times anything that I was familiar with. And this shaped a lot of their organizational culture. I found the student-staff interactions were much, much more formal and much, much more deliberate than at a small Canadian equivalent. I found that the days were much longer. The work days were much longer than when I had worked in Canada, as well as the PT was was there, but it was also much earlier than I was accustomed to. And all of these things, all of these attributes, these norms, these accepted organizational norms contributed to a culture that was similar, but not the same. And I think that's the point I'm trying to make here with organizational culture, is that all the cultures, particularly within the military, your organizational cultures will appear to be at first very similar, but then the differences will raise it head and cause frictions as a leader if you don't take the time to understand that. So what are the implications for an organization like NATO? What are those things that are going to make NATO's culture different? Here's General Smith describing his understanding of organizational culture uh, when he was working at NATO. Like, so I'm an army guy, right? I'm an infantry officer. Um, but I've equally spent a bit of time in Kansas. I went to something called the Defense Renewal Team many years ago, which was uh, a combined military public servant organization, departmental organization. Um, before I was in uh, Belgium in NATO, I was in Iraq in Baghdad for almost a year uh, with, the, uh, with the Americans. And each one of those has a separate culture and it takes a long time to learn it. Um, and I would say in the case of NATO, it, 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 there is a culture there. And so you want as a leader, build your culture. And I can talk about some of the things you have to start examining the culture you're in and start nudging it. But at the same time, you have to realize NATO, which is now over 70 years old um, and went from 12 founding nations up to 30, has its own culture. Um, and so you have to learn. And I think anybody that's worked in NATO will say it takes about six months to learn about the vocabulary, um, the organizational culture, the language. I, I go around and tell people I don't speak English, I speak NATO because it's a different language. And I was fortunate that I was a national military representative of Canada for the first year. So I kind of dabbled in NATO. I did a lot of Canadian stuff, but I'd hear about NATO things and kind of understand some of it. But when I uh, left this national military representative position to become the head planner for NATO, I would say rather than taking six months, it maybe took me three as I really got into the real guts of what NATO is and trying to fully understand what's there in the culture. And I, I would say based on my experience in those different organizations, I'd, I'd call myself a cultural chameleon, not to be confused with a karma chameleon, which I know many of the students will start singing in their heads, uh, a cultural chameleon, which means um, you'll learn about it. Rather than like, I've seen people go in and just be themselves. And the organization just doesn't work that way. And you it becomes a bit of a clash of wills as this new leader, and that's usually who it is, insists this is the way things are going to work versus you have a very mature culture that is just used to doing things. What Culture is a funny thing, and we could get into a long discussion about it, but I think it's about what, what, what does right look right? What does right look like? When you default to something, how, do, how is the right way to do things? 
And so if you've got a leader that based on their experience, that's how they do it, and they're not going to bend their, their ways of thinking to this new, very mature organization, it's going to be a long haul for probably both organizations. Me personally, um, I found a lot of listening, trying to learn things because again, if language is an aspect of culture, if you try to use Canadian Army language in NATO, you're just going to bump into things and say, that acronym doesn't mean the same thing and you're just not going to have effective uh, communication. But with time, you start learning. And so like I said, it takes about six months for you to understand the culture and then try to start nudging it where you need it to be um, and try to make it where you want. And again, it's, it's particularly interesting in NATO where it's got now 30 countries. You have Army, Navy, Air Force, SOF and other, or other sort of institutional or service cultures that are there. Um, and it just takes time to try to understand it and start influencing it's where you need it to go. General Smith talked about being a cultural chameleon. And that, in my mind, captures the essence of having a good understanding of the organizational culture and aligning your leadership to make sure that it syncs up with it in order to make sure that you're achieving that strategic intent or that strategic vision. Another way of capturing that, I think, is when we start talking about cultural intelligence or CQ. Now, Davis and Wright's state that in a military context, cultural intelligence has been understood as knowledge and cultural awareness divine from analysis of social, political, economic, and demographic information. This provides an understanding of another nation's history, institutions, psychology, beliefs, and behaviors. They've put forth a model that talks about mindfulness as a metacognitive strategy that links the knowledge and the behaviors in order to have uh, cultural intelligence of uh, the people that you're working with or the organization that you're with or the national culture that you're dealing with. This is a really interesting model and uh, again I'll put a link to this or I'll put a reference to this in the show notes. I found actually Julia Middleton who's an English academic with expertise in cultural intelligence and leadership. I like the model that she promotes. It's based on the idea that your culture, cultural intelligence is composed of two aspects. One, those core beliefs, those core elements of your own that are fixed and they don't change. And then there are those elements that are flexible. It's kind of like a cone that goes down. The core is at the base of the cone and then the flex is where it goes out. And then having an understanding of what others core and flex are is and where those intersect is essentially the model that she's promoting. She says that in understanding your own core values and flexibility, you can understand where you can adapt and where you can be open to other cultures, ideas, and practices as a leader. And I like this because she talks about it being changeable. It Again, like culture itself, it's not fixed. It changes as you get older, you become more flexible in some areas that were previously fixed, you become more fixed in some areas of your core values, things that you don't see changing. Having an understanding of yourself and then taking a look at what other people's core values and where their flex area is, is one of the things that appeals to me about this particular model of cultural intelligence. I find it's actually pretty applicable and it starts with knowing yourself and then 
expanding that out to an understanding of others. Probably very similar to the idea of the mindfulness, where you're thinking, pausing, reflecting, not just reacting, but taking the time to understand where other people are coming from. Again, I'll put a link to, she does a a really interesting talk on this. So I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes if you want to find out a little bit more about this. So we've taken a look at culture from the idea of organizational culture. We've taken a look at it from national culture. In fact, how that impacts how you act as a leader and then how you see others as leaders. And then the other thing that we've talked about very briefly is CQ. I've given a general overview and in the show notes I've got some more detailed links if you want to take a look at some of the other materials that I've talked about. So what is the relationship between organizational culture, national culture, and cultural intelligence? And how do we use this to our advantage to make us better as leaders? Well, Here's Colonel Todd Strickland, Commandant of the Canadian Army Staff College. He's going to talk a little bit about shaping culture within his organization. You're either spiraling up or you're spiraling down. So if you're doing nothing uh, deliberate about your example, about shaping the culture within your unit, other people will do it for you. And that might not be the way you want to go. And once you get going down on a downward spiral and, and things are not fun, well, when things aren't fun, people get angry, people get bitter, and suddenly that respect that you're counting on seems to erode, and people start taking cheap shots at one another, if I can put it that way. And suddenly you, you have a leadership crisis, and you're having to go from problem to problem. Whereas if it's the other way, and you've created that basis of respect and that collegial atmosphere, and, and understand, I, I'm talking about a, a schoolhouse. I'm talking about the uh, Canadian Army Command and Staff College more than anything. But if we've got that respect and that belief that we can exchange ideas and good ideas will get executed, then you start spiraling up and teamwork becomes easier and cohesion becomes easier and people are seeing that, hey, we are doing some good stuff here. So I, I firmly believe there is a feedback loop between culture and example. And if you're not doing something, leadership's an active state. You can't just say, hey, I'm a colonel now. This is going to be easy. I will issue directives from this great office that I've got on uh, the shores of Lake Ontario, and things will happen. That's that's not how it works. It's, it's a very much active and personal state where you have to be engaging with people all the time. I think most people have had experience with those organizations that spiral down or spiral up. And it is definitely way more fun and way more interesting to belong to those ones that are on the upswing as opposed to the downswing. So does culture eat strategy for breakfast? Well, it doesn't have to. If the leadership, the organizational culture, and the strategic intent or vision are in fact all aligned, then in fact, culture becomes a huge enabler to that leader in order to achieve that strategic vision. So yeah, culture can eat strategy for breakfast, but it doesn't have to. In fact, it can really enable a leader to achieve that strategic intent as long as he's got that CQ or cultural intelligence operating in order to ensure that he's able to leverage and plug into it in order to make things happen. That wraps up our talk about culture for this week. 
I'd like to thank Brigadier General Greg Smith and Colonel Todd Strickland for sharing their thoughts about leadership with me and about organizational culture. I have both of those interviews in their entirety up on our podcast website, so please take a listen. Um, There's some really interesting ideas that we were able to talk about. So that's it for this week on culture. I hope you've enjoyed it, and I hope you'll join us again on Leadership Beyond the Trenches. Leadership Beyond the Trenches is hosted and produced by Anne Reifenstein. Theme music is provided by Mikhail Hellman and Alexander Nakaranda under Creative Commons licensing.